That's good. All right, well, this morning we're finishing up our series, When Heaven Touches Earth. When Heaven Touches Earth, just to give you a little recap, we kicked this series off on Easter Sunday by talking about how heaven touched earth through Jesus, that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was God in the flesh, and when he touched this earth, heaven literally touched earth. And then last week, we talked about how heaven touches earth through us, through you, and how before heaven can touch earth through you, heaven's got to get in you. And so that's what we talked about last week. So as we're finishing up the series this morning, we're looking at when heaven touches earth through the church. Like, we call this the church, right? Uh, it's not necessarily a, a, a building, but it's, it's, a, it's a group of people that come together under one banner, under one mission, under one vision, under one purpose, and, and they are set out to achieve uh, making uh, the Great Commission their focus. And, and that's what we're doing here at Cultivation Church. And so, but, but, you know, it's one thing for heaven to touch earth through us as an individual, but it's another when we come collectively together under the banner of the church Man, heaven can touch this earth in a great way if we operate the way that God has told us to. So let me ask you this question to kick us off. What do you think the church should look like? Now, don't answer because I'm going to get like 80 different answers right here. But what do you think the church should look like? For some of you, 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 you know what that is right off the top of your head. I mean, you've got a bullet list. In fact, some of those reasons are the reasons you sit here today is because there are certain things that you looked for in looking for a church that cultivation meets. You know, I'm not here to say that we're the perfect church. By no means are we even close to it. You know, we are just a body of people that love people, that want to see Christ made famous, and we want to see people give their hearts to Jesus, and we want to see people fulfill the dream, the plan, the purpose that God's put on your life. I'm not saying we have it all together. I'm not saying that we have the, the means and ways right now to achieve every one of those things that I just said to you. But guys, we're on track to trying to get there. So I know sometimes it's like, man, well, why don't they do this? Or why doesn't this happen? Or why, 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 da, 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 all this kinds of stuff. Well, it's because we have a working definition of what we think church should look like. Now, I'm not saying that every one of your reasons right now is wrong. In fact, probably 80% of them are right, and, and, and that's what the church should look like. But sometimes, and I believe that this is just a byproduct of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the day and time, the culture that we live in. In fact, it's kind of history repeats itself because I think this was happening back in the early church as well. But we have somehow gotten confused as to what church is really about and who church is really for. You see, we have thought that church might be for us, and it's all about meeting my needs. But really, the church was, was launched to be a, 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 a body of people that would cast the net for those that did not know who Jesus was and pull them in and then do life together and to try to expand the kingdom of God throughout the world. Now, we all have our ideas as to what church should look like or should be, but I want to give you seven biblical reasons this morning as to the answer to the question of what church should look like. 
So listen, this isn't Matt Donnelly's list of seven things that the church should look like. It, it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, some commentator, some theologian, some denominational expert that, that put these seven together. I'm just coming straight from Scripture as to what the, the, the inspired Word of God says the church should be. Okay? So here's number one. The church is a place where the presence of God is automatic. Now, what do I mean by that? When the church comes together, you have no doubt in, the, in your mind that the presence of God is there. It is. Because Scripture tells us in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, it's not to say that the presence of God doesn't reside with us as individuals because it does. But I believe that there is just a greater experience of the presence of God when we come together as a body of believers, when we come together as followers. Jesus said that when two or three of you come together and my name as my followers, I'm there. It doesn't say anything else as any other prerequisite other than when you get into the same location, I'm there, I'm there. I am there. So the church is a place where the presence of God is automatic if there's two or three believers in the midst, which, God, let's hope that we at least have two or three believers in the building. Here's the second thing that Scripture tells us, is that it is a source of encouragement. The church is to be a place that is a source of encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer of Hebrews says, let us motivate one another. Let us encourage one another. If you're leaving this body and you're not encouraged, you're not motivated, well then something isn't right. Because that should be something that you feel every single time that you come together, that we come together as body of believers. Now let me tell you, there's been times where I've left this building discouraged. But then I have my wife, who is the second chair to the Holy Spirit, that gets me in check. And she's all about telling me, well, what about this? And what about that? And then you begin to see God moving. And then it's like, man, because... I believe that even as leaders in the church, we can get consumed with things that really don't matter at the end of the day. What do I mean by that? Because I could leave here and say, well, how many people were in the building? Did we do this or did we do that? Or did, we, did, we, did, 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 did the lights mess up or did the sound mess up or did you hit the wrong chord or whatever, and we can get consumed on things like that, walk away disappointed, and totally miss the point of why we were there. Sometimes we that come to church, and maybe our favorite song doesn't get played. Oh, well, I mean, God's not in this place today because that song didn't get played. Or maybe, maybe the coffee was a little bolder than normal. I don't know. Maybe it was too weak. Maybe it looked like tea instead of coffee in your cup. And you're like, oh, man, that's it. That's it. It's over. I believe there are times where we get so focused on things that don't really matter at the end of the day. 
Because as I read my Bible, there's plenty of times where God moves in the middle of an absolute chaotic situation. But going back to the main point here, the church is supposed to be a place where you leave here motivated, a place where you feel encouraged, and not necessarily just motivated and encouraged by the guy who stands behind here and speaks, but motivated and encouraged by the person that sits next to you. And these people back here, they're responding. I can hear them. I know it. Here's number three. The church should be a place that is a faith booster. A faith booster. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Some of you might say, man, I just don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith to believe for a certain thing. I just, my faith is weak right now. Well, guess what? Position yourself in a body of believers, hear the good news because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so every time you hear the Word of God, faith should begin to pulsate. Faith should begin to grow on the inside of you. If, 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 just a perfect example. If the Word today was not specifically geared for you because you have no clue what that number means, it doesn't resonate with you at all, guess what? You still heard the Word of God that His his palm has an inscription of your picture in it. And so that should build your faith regardless of whatever resonates with you or not. The Word of God's going forth today and faith should grow on the inside of you. Here's number four, that the church is supposed to be an equipping center. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, Now these are the gifts that God gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to what? Equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This place should be an equipping center. This place should be a place where you, it's not necessarily meaning, well, go to this class or go to this instruction, but we should, as iron sharpens iron, we should be building relationship with others of those that are in this place today because guess what? When you become in relationship with somebody through whatever means, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's through a small group, whether it's through serving in a certain uh, uh, department or whatever it is, it is during those times that you get equipped. Now, yes, it does happen in a classroom setting as well. But the church is designed to be an equipping center. Here's number five. It's supposed to be a sending agency. A sending agency. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The church was never supposed to be isolated to one place. The church was to expand. The church was to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Judea into all Samaria. It was never intended to just stay in Jerusalem. There will come a day where we reproduce ourselves. I'm just, I'm just telling you. 
there will be a day where Cultivation Church reproduces itself somewhere else other than Covington, Louisiana, and we will reproduce because it's what God has called us to do. I don't have to, like, think about it. I don't have to see if that's really in the cards for us. No, because if I read the Great Commission, it says go and make disciples. And it doesn't just mean where we're at. It means that we're going to get a group of people, we're going to send them out, and they will start a new work, an extension of what we're doing here in Covington somewhere else. It will happen. Because the church is called to be a sending agency. Here's number six. The church is an unstoppable force. Matthew 16, 18 says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It baffles me how sometimes when people find themselves going through hard situations, They literally have all hell breaking loose, and then they break loose from the church. I don't understand it. I don't get it, because the church should be the place that you run, because the church is a place where the gates of hell cannot prevail. And so you want to stay out there because you think nothing's going to happen in here. I hate to break it to you, but the church is an unstoppable force. You got an issue? You got a problem? You got all hell breaking loose? Don't stay outside these walls thinking that you're just going to get the answer yourself because it's not going to happen. You need to get into the body of Christ. You need to get into the church because it is an unstoppable force. Is that number six? Here's number seven. The future is bright. The future is bright. In the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9. Now, this is talking about the people back in the day, in the Old Testament, they were going to rebuild the temple. Preached a sermon about that several, uh, it might even be years now. Uh, We might have to pull that one out in the vault. But, Here's the thing, is that this one says that the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of Heaven's army, have spoken. I don't believe that word is just reserved for the temple that was being rebuilt back in Haggai's day. I believe that's a word for the church today. Because as I've already mentioned this morning, history has a way of repeating itself. The church in America today is in shambles and we need to rebuild the church to not just be a place that is just there to be there but it's a place where the glory of God is going to fall it's a place where people will find uh, uh, healing it's a place where people will find joy it's a place where people will find peace and he says this that the future glory of the temple will be greater than its past glory we have a segment of people today that live in the glory days of the past Man, God moved back then, and he did that then. And it, Well, where did he go? Where did he go? The last time I checked, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means that if he did it back then, guess what? He can do it today. But I'm even going to go one step further and say that, you know what? Today can be better than back then. So you might be saying, well, man, I just don't know about the future of the church. Let me tell you, the future is bright. So how many of you can say either you or someone you know needs those seven things in their life? At least one of them. 
We need that in our lives. The reason that God instituted the church is because he knew the people needed it. That they weren't going to be able to make it on their own. That there was something about the power of people coming together. That two is better than one. That three is even better. God has this this idea that we are to come together as a church and set this world on fire. You see, when we come together and we operate the way God intended for the church to operate, that is when heaven has the opportunity to touch earth. Let me say that again. When we come together and operate the way that God intended for the church to operate, I'm not saying just because we get here and we meet. We have to operate the way that he intended for us to operate. There's a certain way that God has designed the church to go, and we have to find ourselves in that and do that, and then heaven can touch earth. Now, I'm not going to talk about a program today or a strategy on how we're going to achieve these seven things that I just listed, but what, but, but, but what I am going to do is to give us what we need to do personally. So this is going to be a message that we look inside of ourselves and say, are we where we need to be? Am I where I need to be? To be a part of the church, to operate the way that God intended it to operate. Because sometimes we want the answers to be a group thing. Just give me a strategy. Just give me a program. Well, I hate to break it to you. I can give you every strategy in the book today. I can give you every program in the book today. But until something in here changes, that program ain't going to work. The strategy ain't going to work. And so that's the reason we got to start with what's on the inside. In 2 Kings, there's a story that I think can give us this vital piece to the puzzle. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read the entire story, and then we'll go back and pull some things out. It says this, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servant. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and he said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to take notice of. The first thing that we need to take notice of is is that the prophets got to a place of action. They got to a place where they said things needed to change. Let's go back to verse 1 in 2 Kings chapter 6. It says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. 
You see, I believe this morning that God wants to take you as an individual to a new level. Because it's when he begins to take you to that new level that you begin to grow. That God grows you through that process of taking you to the next level. You see, the prophets got to this place where where they were became uncomfortable. It became a place that was too small. Growth needed to take place in order for them to continue to do what it was that God had set them out to do. They needed to grow. I'm not talking about we need to build a build a build build a bigger building. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us personally. I'm talking about your life right now. There are some things that are in your life that are too small. And it's become uncomfortable. But let me say this, sadly what is happening to some people inside this room and outside this room that you are stuck in an environment that is too small for you because you refuse to change. You're stuck in a small environment because you, even though you're uncomfortable, you've become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so when we get to that place, we become complainers and we complain about things. We complain, oh man, I can't move, I can't do this, I can't do that. And it's never our fault, it's always somebody else's fault. Maybe it's you refuse to let go of what you're familiar with. You refuse to let go what you're comfortable with. Even though it's causing you grief at times, even though it causes you pain at times, you just refuse to let go. Some of us today need to reevaluate our lives because God is trying to take you somewhere that's bigger. You see, one thing about the prophets that's awesome is that it wasn't that they just noticed the problem and went to Elisha and said, hey, Elisha, we have a problem the building's too small. What are you going to do about it? That's not what the story reads. The story reads is, see now the place where we dwell with you is too small, so please let us go to the Jordan. And let every man take a beam from there and let us make a place where you may dwell. You see, going to the next level isn't somebody throwing you a rope and pulling you up to the next level. Going to the next level is you understanding that where I'm at is no longer good enough. Where I need to go, I got to work for it. I got to climb up that stair ladder. I got to do something today to get up to the next level. I got to go and I got to say, Pastor, I am tired of being where I am right now. It's too small. I got to take a step to the next level. Here's another thing that we noticed. To achieve what they set out to do, everyone had to be involved. To achieve what they set out to do, not just a group of them, 
everyone had to be involved. We can go back to the scripture in verse 2. This is what it says. It says, please let us go to the Jordan and let what? Every man, every man take a beam from there. You know, it's amazing to me. Now, as I begin to look at our culture and society today, that many people want something for nothing. They just automatically feel entitled to it. I mean, even in sports leagues, you can finish dead last not winning one game and you get a trophy. Like, I don't get that. Now, you might tell me I'm hardcore. Man, participation, it doesn't matter. Like, okay, well, then when they get in real life and they begin to lose and nobody wants to give them a trophy, then what? We begin to want things without doing anything for it. People want a great church, but they want the pastor to build it. They want a great marriage, but they don't want to take time to cultivate and mature and nurture the relationship. They want to do something big, but they don't want to take time to lay the foundation. They want prosperity, but they don't want to have to work for it. These guys did not look for a handout. They did not look for somebody else to do what they needed to do. They went and they said, let us go up. Every man will take a beam and we're going to do this together. God is looking to partner with people. He's looking to partner with us. He's looking to partner with people who are going to pray like it depends on him and work like it depends on us. He's looking for people who are ready to start moving who are ready to say, I'm tired of being where we're at. we got to go to the next level. Let's do this together. Here's the great thing about God. As soon as we start moving in that direction, man, He is there with us every step of the way. Now here's the main point of the story. Going in verses 4 through 7. It says, so He went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Let me stop there because I think this is important. Notice how Elisha gave them permission. He empowered them to go and do what they wanted to do, and they started. But they said, no, we want you to go with us. You know what Elisha did? He went with them. Because Elisha had a heart for his people. Elisha had a heart to be there, to work with them to step with them, to be there every step of the way. Look, my heart is to help you get to where you feel God wants you to be. If you want that, I'm willing to walk with you. If you want that, I'm willing to cry with you, to laugh with you, to, 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 to I might, I, hey, listen, I don't have all the answers. You might come up and tell me, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. And I'll say, I don't have the answers, but we're going to figure them out together. So he went with them. Verse 5, but as one was cutting down a tree, an iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, and he said, Master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, well, where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and he made the iron float. 
And therefore, he said, pick it up yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. One man lost his axe head. What does that axe head represent? What does that axe head represent in this story? You know what it represents? It represents his power. Do you realize that without that axe head, that man has no power? I don't know about you, but if you just take a stick and you're trying to chop down a tree, you're going to be there for a long time. It's just not going to work. Now, if you get an axe head and attach it to the stick and start swinging, you're going to start making progress. So I don't care how strong you think you are. The power is not necessarily in you. The power is in the axe head. The axe head was this guy's power. It was it is symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's everything to our walk. Let me tell you this morning, if, you, if, if, if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have anything. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, you're not going anywhere until the power of the Holy Spirit hits. And when it hits, then you start moving. Because that's when you have the power to do what it is that I've called you to do. I don't care how many bicep curls I do. I don't care how many reps I do on the bench press. By the way, I'm getting really good. Just saying. But without the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm worth nothing. Now, if we go back to this verse in, in verses 4 through 7, there, there's, there's, there's something interesting that here. He says, but one was cutting down a tree, and the iron axe head fell into the water, and then it's a semicolon. And here's the thing. Sometimes we read Scripture, and we don't really insert time into the story. So I don't know how much time is in between that semicolon and the word and. I don't know if, like, he lost it and then he spent hours trying to search for it himself. I don't know if, like, he just went, oops, let me go find the guy right now. I don't know what happened. I don't know how long or how much time had passed between losing the axe head, but one thing that we do know is that he finally got to a place where he cried out. He got to a place where he finally cried out because he realized that if I continue to stay in where I'm at right now without my axe head, I'm no good. I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything. But this is where I'm afraid so many people find themselves. They have the axe handle and they're swinging away, going through the motions, but have no axe head. And either we're too embarrassed to finally fess up and say we don't have an axe head, we just want to look like we're doing something, so we go through the motions, we check the boxes off, and yet we're not getting anywhere. Then we get frustrated. And when we get frustrated because we don't see any progress, well, then we don't choose to look inward, we choose to look outward, and we choose to blame. It's the cycle that we find ourselves in. But can I encourage you today that if you're one of those that are going through the motions, it's okay to drop the handle and cry out. 
It's okay to say, man of God, where? What, like, like, I've lost it. It's okay to cry out to God and say, I've lost it. Swinging away a handle with no axe head, no power. When this man lost the axe head, he lost his power. He stopped. And he didn't do another thing until he got it back. So he goes to Elisha, cries out for help. And Elisha asks a great question. He says, where did it fall? Where did it fall? That question can be equal to this question, which is, where did you lose it? Where did you lose it? Listen. For all of us in this room that have ever said yes to Jesus, nobody said yes to Jesus and did not have something happen on the inside of them that felt like a burning fire within them, a.k.a. passion. Let me tell you, when I first came to know who Jesus was, and I'm talking about really knowing who Jesus was, because let me tell you, I thought I knew who he was when I was in high school, but it wasn't until I was 19 years old sitting in a church in West Monroe, that I had an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit like I've never had before, and I found Jesus that day, and I knew him beyond a shadow of a doubt. And let me tell you, my life was changed from that day forward. I was transformed. That was the day that I was transformed. That was the day that everything changed. And let me tell you something. When that happened, I walked out of that building just bubbling up, bursting forward with just a passion, a fire. Something happened to me. And something was like, man, i got to have more. You might be asking yourself, well, how do I know I lost it? You'll know because that feeling is not there. If we're going to be a church where heaven touches earth through it, we got to have people that are full of passion for who Jesus is. Let me tell you, Tuesday nights when we come and meet here for prayer at 6.30, let me tell you, we have some passionate people that come to this place. And let me tell you, the presence of God falls on this place. There is something that is happening on Tuesday nights where God is moving. Now, I understand Tuesday night might not be your night. But listen, we're, hey, as the Lord leads, we're going to open more opportunities because I'm a firm believer that, look, where, where we can create opportunities to encounter who Jesus is, we're going to create opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. Because I am, I, I am so on, on this, 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 this kick, if that's what you want to call it. Where, guess what? I just want to see God move. I don't want to play any more games. I want to see God move in people's lives. Last several weeks, when service is dismissed, some people go out there in fellowship. We got some people that stay behind. Some people come back in, and guess what? God is moving. 
We had somebody filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues last weekend. And guess what? It didn't happen at the altar call. It didn't happen during the service. It happened that way after the service. Worship was still going. Let me tell you something. God is wanting to encounter you. If you want him, he wants you. Come close to me and I'll come close to you. You might be sitting here today saying, where did I lose it? You know exactly where you lost it. Let me tell you, when that, when that guy went to Elisha and Elisha asked him that question, I guarantee you, he said it right there. You know exactly where you lost your passion. You know exactly what situation reared its ugly head. You know exactly the word that was spoken over your life. You know exactly the situation that happened that took your passion away. I'm here to tell you today that I don't care where you, where, like, that, that you lost it. What I care about is where did it happen? Because today I believe God's going to take you back to that place and that passion's going to reignite. Because listen, if we're going to go somewhere as a church, the place that God wants it to go, to do what God has intended us to do, Baby, you better believe it that we got to get some passion back inside of us and we got to start living for Jesus and going after him full, reckless, abandon. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Because when we're on fire, it's a lot easier to catch other people on fire. So the man showed him the place. He showed him the place. So then Elisha does something very kind of unusual. He goes to a tree, cuts a stick down, throws it in the water where the axe head, where the man said he lost it. And then all of a sudden, the axe head floats up to the top. There are some things in here that you might think are gone. you think are gone, either because of decisions that you've made or maybe the way that your life has gone, but there are some things that you might think are gone, like that dream that he gave you. See, there's some dreams in this place today that you think are gone. A passion is gone. You might think it's gone. Maybe it's a marriage that you think it's gone. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that you think is far too gone, too lost. Maybe it's a ministry today that you think is gone. But I'm here to tell you today, God's asking you the question, where'd you lose it? Where'd you lose it? Where'd you lose it? And guess what God's going to do? He's already done it. Because you see, what that stick represents, I believe it represents Jesus. man of God throws the stick in the water and boom, it comes. It happens. It restores the axe head back up to the surface so that he can get out there and do it. That's what Jesus did for us. He restores all things. He makes all things new. Those things that you've lost, when Jesus touches your life, man, that dream comes back. That passion comes back. That marriage has an opportunity to be restored. That son or daughter is going to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. That ministry that you thought was gone is going to come back. It's going to happen because God is going to birth something on the inside of you, reignite something on the inside of you. I'm here to tell you today, you just need to show God the place where you lost it. Jesus was broken to make you whole. He died and rose from the grave to make you alive. 
And here's the last thing as Christina comes back up. Elisha told him to pick it up for yourself. He told him to pick it up for yourself. Here's the thing. I can preach until the cows come home. I can be so fired up here. I can feel it for myself. Man, the worship could be blowing out the water. I mean, it could be the best worship you've ever heard in your life. But guess what? Worship can't pick it up for you. I can't pick it up for you. Nobody but you can pick it up. So many times we're waiting for something to happen that's going to pick it up for us. But Elisha told the man, there it is. There it is. There's no doubt about it. There it is. Are you going to pick it up? Are you going to pick it up? Today is the day that you can reach out and you can take back your joy. Today's the day that you can reach out and take back your peace. Take back your marriage. Take back your life. Take back your dream. Take back your hope. It's there. But you got to reach up and reach out and pick it up. He said, pick it up for yourself. We have to cry out to God. We have to show God the place. And then when it comes to the surface, we've got to pick it up. we begin to do that as individuals and we start walking in the life that God has called us to live, then we can come collectively as the church and heaven can touch earth through his church. I'll say it one more time. In the book of Acts, the church could not move until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when it did, can you imagine being in that room? Because here's what I have a picture of. I have a picture that they're sitting up in that room. And it begins to happen. Do you think that there had to be some type of faith element that they had to activate in that moment to believe that what they were seeing was real? Or do they think that maybe they're just hallucinating? Maybe they think like, man, I just haven't been able to sleep because like we've been in this room for so long waiting patiently for this to take place. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that they were in that room. It didn't just fall on them. They went up and they grabbed a hold of it. And then the church exploded. We have to cry out. We've got to show them the place. And we've got to pick it up. Let's stand all over this place today.